This is the Thursday Night Podcast, your source for news, analysis, and all things Georgia State sports. Because every day is Thursday. Hello, welcome to another episode of the Thursday Night Podcast. My name's Taylor. I'm joined today by the whole crew, David, Brady, and Jordan, for a special Sunday afternoon edition of the Thursday Night Podcast. Uh, Today, we're going to be breaking down... Some of the implications from Georgia State's loss at home to Georgia Southern. Georgia State falling 79-70 on Friday night to Southern first time since 1992, I believe. Um, and then we're going to get into some of the implications moving forward into Tuesday's matchup with the Little Rock Trojans. And then breaking down a little bit of the football schedule coming to light here. Um, we're not going to go into a full discussion, but just get some initial reactions. But first, let's start with what we have. Southern coming into Georgia State, beating Georgia State 79-70 at home. What are our takeaways from this week's game? Well, it had to happen sooner or later. After 28 years, it was bound to happen pretty quick, but not like that. Not like that. Not like that. I'm not going to lie. The way that you sounded right there in the intro it made that just hurt even more than it felt watching the game because, you know, when Georgia State went to Statesboro earlier this year, they didn't play great for most of it, but it still seemed like they were the better team. But, you know, if you watch this game, Georgia Southern from the opening tip to, you know, double zeros in the second half, they just looked like the better team. And that just feels really weird to say coming out of my mouth. Yeah, obviously, you know, they went on a 9 run to start the game. Rob Lanier called a timeout, and you know, from there, it kind of seemed like they were always battling uphill just to even get back in the game. Um, you know, every time Georgia State would make a run, it seemed like Southern would answer with a run of their own and keep that lead anywhere between, you know, six and ten points for most of the time. You know, there were times where State was able to, you know, cut it to two. Um, I, I believe late in the first half, I gotten a little bit closer, and then Southern again went on a run and pulled it away, and the score at the half was, you know, 39-31. So, I mean, it just seems like that was kind of the story of the game. Georgia State would try and get back in it. Southern would answer. And you could tell that the guys on their roster were able to rely on the experience they had. They have, obviously, a uh, a lot older of a team and more experienced in that way. So you could tell that they were able to respond with what Georgia State was trying to throw back at them. And maybe, in my mind, I think maybe their experience and, you know, kind of the... The, the seniors and the just the general older guys on those teams uh, on Georgia Southern were able to, you know, make that the X factor, um, their experience in, you know, taking the win on Friday. Yeah, and I guess just from my own experience watching these teams, I haven't really gotten that vibe from Southern a ton this year. It's been an experienced team, and there's been times watching them throughout conference season where it's like, experienced teams shouldn't be doing this. And so in that respect, the way they played, the way they came into the sports arena and just kind of took the game and relied on those seniors and those upperclassmen, it it surprised me. And it's legitimately was impressive to see. Teams don't come into the sports arena and do that. And Southern certainly hasn't that often since 1992. And that's part of the reason why they haven't won in 28 years in the sports arena. So you got to tip your cap to a certain point. I just think that there's, there are a couple of things belying the result that part of it is 
the shots just weren't falling for Georgia State most of the night. It just seemed like guys were driving into the rim and either going for contact and not getting a foul called and missing the shot or just not hitting a shot that maybe they should hit or that need to hit if you want to win a game like this. But early on, the uh, shooting discrepancy was like laughably spread. Southern was shooting like 67% for a good part of the first half. And then state was in the twenties and thirties during that time. And so watching the game, there was a little bit of me that was like, well, the numbers are going to balance out at some point a little bit. They're not going to stay 40 percentage points apart. And that was true. Southern came down to earth, especially in the second half, but state never really recovered. They shot just under 35 on the game from the floor and just over 31%, 10 of 32 from three on the game and only shot 16 free throws. They made 14 of them, but they just weren't getting to the line enough. And I think there's a little bit of a a lie in the numbers with the difference in free throws. Southern shot 38, but I would guess at least 10 of those were late in the game. So I think that there was a difference there that Southern was able to get to the line. I think the numbers are a little bit fuzzy because I think that, I mean, 28 of them were in the second half for Southern and I would, I would bet a lot of those were late in the second half, but definitely a difference there was even when that wasn't the case, Southern was getting fouls, getting to the line and state just wasn't. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> Sorry. <coughs> yeah. To that point specifically, Georgia State shot 16 free throws, but I think I remember seeing in with around um, like 10 minutes left in the second half. I think at that point they had like six free throw attempts or something. And it's it's crazy how a team that, you know, loves jump shooting and but also can drive. They just weren't getting fouls called against Southern, you know, and I don't I'm not sitting here trying to say that the refs were good, bad, whatever. It didn't seem like the refs were doing anything egregious. So, you know, it doesn't matter. Um, But it was just very curious to me that Georgia State was getting absolutely nothing called their way um, and not even getting those attempts to put themselves back in the game. I think part of it is just that specifically Isaiah Crawley, but just in general, they're front court they were playing really good defense on the inside they were contesting without fouling i think there were a couple of times sometimes where guys were looking to draw contact and kind of like leaned in and the contact wasn't there and so the shot attempt was weak and there was no contact so there was no nothing for the ref to call so i definitely will specifically say refs weren't a factor in the, the foul difference it it wasn't a thing where, you know, why isn't the ref giving calls? Like, that wasn't the case. There wasn't any funny business going on. Georgia Southern really wasn't fouling. From being at the game, obviously not watching it live on TV or, you know, having access to the, the, the stats as it went, it always seems like I'm honestly now shocked looking back and looking at the team stats now that Georgia State and Georgia Southern finished with an even number of offensive rebounds because it seems like every time Georgia State would force, you know, a bad shot, or, you know, force a bad possession for Southern, they would be able to corral and, you know, pull to the rebound down and get to those second chance points. That's just from sitting on the baseline, you know, taking pictures. That was, at least in the first half, was my kind of view of 
what the the, the biggest problem was. Uh, and it just seemed like, again, like I'm shocked that they both finished with eight uh, offensive rebounds each. But again, you know, Southern rebounded Georgia State, or out-rebounded them 41 to 34. Um, and you can tell, like to Brady's point, that it was just the bigs were outplaying Georgia State's bigs down low. Uh, and kind of imposing their will. And again, it seemed maybe the offensive rebounds came at later times in the game, but it seems like Georgia Southern, their offensive rebounds led to more second chance points and more opportunities where a state is kind of came up empty on some of those possessions. And that's super important, especially as Brady mentioned earlier, when Southern's bigs were playing as well as they were, because, you know, if the shots aren't falling for Georgia state, which they weren't, you know, and, the free throws are going in for Southern and their bigs are playing as well. It just seemed much higher in a discrepancy. And it seemed like Southern was doing every little thing that they needed to do to just kind of push Georgia state away and keep them from getting back in the game. And I mean, it worked. It, it All of it worked. Yeah. There was one sequence I'm remembering where I think Southern got three shots at the basket. They mm. got a, put back didn't go in they got the rebound of that put back and then got a shot to go in might have been a three even and just when you're trying to get back in a game and sequences like that happen it can be demoralizing and college basketball is a game of runs as is always said and college basketball is also just it's a weird thing where and we've seen this in two straight games now where georgia state trailed the entire way if you can come back and tie it or take a lead, the mentality, the feeling of the game changes. And especially in front of a sold out crowd, I think if Georgia state had ever nipped it back and gotten a lead, even in the first half, it wouldn't have been like, Oh, the game's over. State's going to win now, but it might've felt different. And it just, it never happened. They got close to two in the first half, a few times and got a lot of chances. I, I counted five to seven times where state was coming down with the ball with a chance to either tie or take the lead and they never could do it. And Southern took advantage and right every time state was in that spot where they, a possession away from tying it or taking a lead Southern went on a run and that's how you went on the road like this. And in front of a sold out crowd is it just, you can't give the the team, the the crowd, the anyone is on the home side the hope like Georgia State's winning now, like it's happening. And the last time Georgia State was really in the game, so to speak, Southern had taken their biggest lead at 14, 59, 45. Sorry. They took the biggest lead at 60, 45. The 59, 45 was after the two fast break dunks, which were just that was a sequence that definitely needed to happen. <laughs> but State went on a run right after that, and they cut it to 60-52 to 52 on a Kane-Williams three. And Southern immediately broke the press and I think got a just a guy running the lane for a dunk to kind of just silence the crowd, which was starting to stir. And that one kind of told the story of the game for me. This last opportunity, cut it to single digits after being down 15, and Southern runs a great set play, beating a press, and gets a, just a dunk. Just the easiest possible way to score points. Get their fans that were their hype and kind of get things back on track for them. That just felt like the story of the game. 
And that all just compounded on itself, too, you know, like specifically that two dunk sequence. You know, it wasn't like Georgia State played bad offense or anything. It's just Southern was opportunistic and, you know, had a guy leak out and there was nothing Georgia State could do to get back, obviously, and it just didn't make sense to. So, you know, four easy points right there. It it definitely didn't help matters in the second half that there was some bad, lazy passing going on, and you can't do that against Georgia Southern. Quan Jackson is got super quick hands, playing passing lanes, and he had two steals. I think that's about what he averages a game. And Southern as a team had 10, and a lot of, you know, credit goes to them for making the steals, but it felt like a lot of it was like a cross-court pass that didn't need to happen that was just a little bit too lofted, and guy for Southern jumped in front of it, and then they're on the fast break. And a lot of this was happening when State was trying to come back from, you know, down 10, down 8, down 12. Even when it was down to 3, there were a couple of times where there were some turnovers going on that kind of stunted the momentum and it it was just when you want to come back in the games like this you can't turn it over 18 times because they actually won the turnover difference yeah southern had 21 uh it didn't necessarily feel like it because state got 22 points off of turnovers which is decent for the number if you're getting more points than turnovers force that's okay but it still felt like there were more opportunities there were some points left on the table and they won by nine, so obviously the 21 turnovers didn't mean that much. Yeah, I was about to say, it's incredibly hard to win the turnover battle and yet feel like turnovers were such an overwhelming problem. But that's exactly what happened for Georgia State on Friday. Did we talk about points in the paint? Because that's something that definitely needs to be addressed from this game. Not explicitly, but you're absolutely right. Southern had 42 points in the paint to State's 18 you just you you can't do that well it's i i don't want to say that that's necessarily too bad obviously it's not great but i think that's more a testament to you know how good the bigs for southern played and you know how young the bigs for georgia state played um and i i say that specifically because i don't earlier in the season you know we love to talk up jones and Thomas and you know they're they're still guys that you know you can't give up on obviously because they're freshmen you know but at the same time though you know down the stretch they've really shown kind of that youth and you know it seemed like especially with the rebound battle there were times where both of them were in position to get rebounds that you would expect them to and it was just a situation where an eagle just he said i want this ball i'm going to get this ball and you know got the rebound you know there were multiple rebounds over uh the stretch of the game you know for multiple even nelson phillips i would argue is the you know the guy who hustles the most on georgia state i know that's kind of an arbitrary thing to say but um and even he had a couple rebounds go the way of southern simply because of you know southern said i want this ball and i'm going to take it so I know that we, you know, we love to look at points in the paint and yes, obviously it was a problem and the discrepancy was big, but I think that's more so just tip your cap to Southern right there for how their bigs played, you know, and hope that this learning experience for the Georgia state guys, you know, turns into something that they can use in the future to where, you know, they're actually starting to impact the game. Yeah. I think among people watching the team, 
the coaches, the players, everyone associated with the team. I think that there was maybe a thought at some point this year that one of the freshmen maybe would take a leap and start becoming that guy to rely on on the inside. And that that would be the, the gateway to Georgia state's front court presence, really asserting itself on a game like this. And it didn't really happen, but yeah, that's just to agree with David, they're freshmen and games like this maybe should be the expectation for freshmen when you're going up against guys like Crawley, Simeon Carter on the inside, but there really wasn't that guy upperclassmen with experience or one of the freshmen taking a leap late in the year. And it's definitely been noticeable that it just hasn't been the same as it was even earlier in conference play. And that's, that's fine. You're going to have that happen and you're going to hope that they learn from it. But I think it, it isn't necessarily a worry for me because Georgia state's got Sasemi who's going to be sitting out and playing next year, who, you know, right now, not that we're talking about next year already, but I'd feel pretty good about saying he he's going to be in the starting center conversation. And you've got those two coming back, growing from this offseason, literally, and, you know, growing their game. And so I think that next year, if it's still a problem, we can start saying, okay, something needs to get fixed here because it isn't working. But I, I, I have every expectation that from next year on, something should be improved there because you can also tell that coach Renier wants there to be more of a presence in from the four and the five in the lineups offensively and defensively. And I think that if we start seeing that game in game out, especially on the defensive end, the, the tenor, the, the way this team is on the court is going to be totally different. Right. You know, these guys, they're still young. They'll, they'll figure it out. They definitely will. So with all that being said about the last, the last game, where does that leave Georgia State looking at Little Rock coming into town on Tuesday for the final game of the regular season? So the Sun Belt as it stands at going into the final game, Little Rock is the regular season one seed. They won the Sun Belt regular season title, and whoever wins Tuesday between Texas State and South Alabama in Mobile – will be the two seed. And I think it everything from there depends on other results as to who's the three and the four. So as far as Georgia State's concerned, here's how it shakes out. If Georgia State wins and either of Georgia Southern or South Alabama lose their games on Tuesday, Georgia State is the four seed over whichever team did lose, they win the tiebreaker. If both teams lose and Georgia State wins, Georgia State is the three seed over both of them because there'd be a three-way tie. Georgia State wins that three-way tiebreaker. And if both Georgia Southern and South Alabama win, no matter what Georgia State does, they're the five seed. And and I guess what that means is the three seed and the four seed get a bye to the quarterfinals. They host a game if they win that game, they go to New Orleans and face either the one or the two seed in the semifinals. If the Georgia State's the five seed, they have a home game against either the eight or the nine seed, and then they have to go on the road to the four seed, and at that point would go to New Orleans. So if Georgia State's the five seed, they have an entire 
other game they have to win to go dancing. So it, it really makes a huge difference. And given where the team was going into even just the Texas trip, having to rely on another team losing, it's a disappointing sequence. Yeah, I I, I kind of just went back and looked at the schedule a little bit. Because um, even if you took it further from that Texas trip, you know, there's like two or three games where you could say, hey, man, if one or two shots fall a different way, you know, we're not even sitting here talking about this and Georgia State needing help to even, you know, host a campus game. Um, but, I mean, I think this is still a good opportunity for state. Um, there are many permutations of what can happen. Um, so I don't want to get too predicty, if you will. Um, but I mean, all that starts with winning on Tuesday and, you know, all streaks come to an end, right? So this losing streak is probably going to come to an end. Eventually. Eventually. <laughs> Hedging your bets there. Yes. <laughs> so <laughs> Incredibly. Before leaving the other teams, I just would note Southern is at home hosting Arkansas State, who has just been in a tailspin since I predicted they would be a top four Sunbelt team. Go Red Wolves. Um, and <laughs> South take. Alabama, South, as mentioned earlier, South Alabama hosts Texas State. Go Bobcats. I think that even if you know Arkansas State wasn't losers of, I think, eight straight and just not at all in a good place as a basketball team right now, the better bet would be on Texas state beating South Alabama, but especially given that Arkansas state's in a really not great place, I would not bank on that happening. I feel like the basket Georgia state fans will want to put their eggs in as far as like hoping for a win will be Texas state. Texas state wants to get a buy straight to NOLA. They have a lot to play for in the game and they're also just a good team. So I think that's those are the, the matchups. If, if you're Georgia State, if Arkansas State wins on Tuesday or if Texas State wins on Tuesday, Georgia State just has to win to be a three or a four seed. So that's where your rooting interest should lie. But yeah, getting to Little Rock, they can't win or lose anything with this game. And so I think the question becomes, how do they handle this game that's a, just a lame duck game they have to play. Do they rest anyone? Do they rest everyone? I Honestly, this might not be what Panther fans want to hear, but I would argue that they don't even have to rest anybody. Um, yes, obviously an injury can happen at any time, but if they're going straight to NOLA, I think their next basketball game after Tuesday would be next Saturday. Yeah, this yeah, is what, like right. 10 days? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, it would be 11. Um, so I would argue that, the, I mean, if they want to send Noel and everybody to play, I mean, shoot, why not? <laughs> you know, they're not going to, as long as the injury is not, you know, season ending, if they get anything, they're going to have so many days to recover anyways. Plus, it kind of allows you to be in an, hopefully at adverse and rowdy environment. And, you know, you don't necessarily have a home contingency behind you when you're playing um, in those conference tournament games at the end of the season. So, you know, that could be some good practice for them if they want to, you know, try to get up for that and 
showcase what they can do and kind of solidify that great season that they've had. I hear that, and I I think the layoff is the only argument for them just treating as a game like normal. And Georgia State obviously needs to prepare for everyone playing. It it would it would not be a good strategy for them to assume players aren't playing, and then when they're they you know show up in uniforms, being like crap. <laughs> but I think that if it was me and I was following a team and with nothing to play for, star player has some freak thing happen, you know chasing down a rebounder, like going on a fast break, trying to get a wipeout block, whatever, and get hurt when there's really nothing to play for. It would be really bad. So I think for, I would be not, I wouldn't be totally shocked if like someone like Marquise Knoll just didn't make the trip, but I would expect everyone's going to be there and play. But I think it's going to be a thing where they're not, playing the starters for 30 minutes. Like I I think that there's a way to keep them in their rhythm by coming on the trip, you know, going through shoot around practicing, playing, starting, but I really don't think that you gain anything by playing your starters 30 minutes in this game with nothing to gain or lose. And well, nothing to gain and potentially a lot to lose if something went wrong. So I I would expect we'll see most of their core in some fashion. I would expect that wouldn't be the same fashion as if it was a tournament game or a regular game. I think that guys might get a couple more beats to, to rest than they normally would. But I also think that if the team who showed up against Southern shows up against Little Rock, it, it's it's not the disrespectful thing where like anyone could show up and George state would lose. Cause that's a disrespectful thing to say. Like it's not like Georgia state couldn't still beat, you know, us. If we, if we were the other team, like they could beat. It, it's just, you know, it's still a division one basketball team. So the, the effort and the intensity and there's the shot making on offense. If that's not there, it doesn't matter who among the rock plays it's going to be a tough out. So first and foremost, no matter who's playing for Little Rock, who plays well for Georgia State is going to matter more than anything. I think that it it does bring up a point in general that down the stretch, I think Justin Roberts has played pretty well. And his while everyone else's shooting numbers have kind of been slowly falling, his have actually been going up. And so I'm not going to say no one is performing right now because I think that he's playing pretty well, especially shooting the ball from three. He's up at 41%. But I think that it does... Whereas you've got teams like Texas State who've got Terry and Pearson are playing well for them. And Crawley and Ike Smith had good games for Southern on Friday. And the the leaders are stepping up for Little Rock. I think it is a thing where there's not been one guy who has just been taking over, especially late in games for Georgia State or when they need a bucket. It's been a guy they can rely on night in, night out. And I think we've known for most of the year that it's been a team that relies on its depth and it isn't just one guy. And I think that a lot of that is good most of the time. But down the stretch, there hasn't been a guy taking over the game and just saying like, like last year in New Orleans, Malik Ben-Levy was like, we're dancing. Like, it's happening. 
I'm dancing whether you guys want to come or not. Right. (laughs) And there hasn't been that guy. And I think that pretty much any of the starters, starters in the backcourt, I guess I should say, it could be them. But it ha- no one has been taking that mantle. And I think that that's what's missing. And I think that if Georgia State wants to make a run, someone's going to have to start being that guy. And if it doesn't happen, it, it doesn't happen. I mean, that's just how it goes. But I think that what's going to happen, whether it's the Little Rock game or games in the Sunbelt tournament, someone's going to have to start stepping up and saying, this is my team we're going to make the goal that we set to the start of the year and make the NCAA tournament. And like I say, could be Kane, could be Corey, could be Justin. It's up in the air. And I'm, I'm sure that's a sense of worry for some Panther fans, but I don't think it's a bad thing. Long-term. I think every one of those guys has another year to continue to grow next year. But for this year's purposes, someone's going to have to start growing now and start taking that up now. Uh, I'd like to take a quick moment to pause uh, to let everyone know that we just got our 200th follower on Twitter. You just got the notification on my phone. Sorry. So again, we're going to have to wait and see, see what happens on Tuesday. Um, obviously, congratulations to Little Rock for taking the regular season title. Um, hopefully, Georgia State can kind of use this Tuesday to maybe pick up a win and kind of use this as a kind of get right moment to maybe get some more momentum heading into the tournament. But ultimately it's kind of just, we're going to have to wait and see what happens. And then we'll be back next Thursday to break down the implications of Tuesday's game. So make sure you keep it locked to find out uh, where the Panthers sit after this last regular season game. But we're going to transition now to a little bit talking about Georgia state football. 2020 schedule is out. What are our initial thoughts? It looks like a good schedule, um, and I don't want. I think a lot of people love hand wringing a schedule when it comes out. Uh, I think the reality of the situation is it is before the spring game for every school in the country. You know, we don't know what a lot of these schools are going to look like come August and September. It's we don't know what these teams are going to look like. Um, some of them we do. You know, I think Louisiana is going to return a lot of people from last year you know there's probably some questions with app state but you'll probably expect them to be around the top of the conference you know but the same questions we have with georgia state as it relates to you know who's going to be their quarterback and you know what are they going to do about replacing the huge running back production that they lost other schools face the same questions you know but as you look at the schedule it does look like a good schedule that you know you could probably make the argument that Georgia state's going to have probably a very similar to a slightly could have a better season than they did last year. If they play well, let's just take a second to kind of run through it. So starting with the home games, you open up at home against Murray state. Then you go on the road uh, at Alabama coming home to face Louisiana the following week, then at Charlotte and then home against Eastern Carolina then you have two away games, Arkansas State and at Troy. Then you come home to host Coastal Carolina. Open up November hosting ULM as well. And then two on the road uh, at, at and at South Alabama. And then you close out the regular season at home against Georgia Southern. Um, where does that kind of leave? Where do we feel about the kind of distribution of home and away games 
both in terms of uh, their distribution throughout the schedule and the specific opponents that we'll see on the road and at home. Well, I first I just realized literally the last four games are just the reversed home road of last year's schedule. Mm. ULM, App, USA, Southern. The Southern game is always going to be the last one until they make a change there, but I just thought it was interesting that it's literally just this, the same November slate. Um, I think that the the home road balance, especially when you factor in a couple of the road games are close. Troy's a travelable, you know, Alabama's not that bad a trip. Charlotte's not that bad a trip. It's a pretty decent road schedule as far as that goes, I think. But the farthest game is going to be Arkansas State. So staying generally in the southeast, travel is not really going to be a detriment to the to the team this year. It's going to be there's no Oregon's good. on the schedule this right. year, right? And that's definitely intentional as far as out of conference goes, not scheduling those that far out. But it's also just no Texas trip, even within the conference. You're not traveling to the farthest reaches, um, and. I don't know that this this Sun Belt does a great. It's certainly not lining up great to where one year you go to Georgia Southern, but then host all of Troy and App State and South Alabama, which are more the closer teams that you play. It'd be nice to have one of those maybe on the the uh, home rotation with. Southern so that it meant that you're going to the road the same year, you know, whatever. But I don't think it's a bad schedule as far as I think maybe that's most of what Dave was talking about was that the home road is a nice split and that's all we can really know. Like it's also worth pointing out that two national games, the 15th of October at Arkansas states on ESPNU and at home, on the 29th of October, hosting Coastal Carolina Thursday night, also on ESPNU. So two two Thursday night games helping the brand out, and they're both on ESPNU. As of the recording of this podcast, we're recording on Sunday. Spring practice for the Georgia State football team will start on Monday, uh, March 2nd. So it'll be interesting to see kind of how some of these offseason narratives of the Quarterback battle, other positional battles are going to start emerging. We'll get a little bit more um, information regarding, you know, what's going on with those positions uh, in the coming days and weeks. And all that's going to culminate with uh, the Georgia State spring game, uh, Friday, April 3rd, uh, playing under the lights Friday night. So that'll be fun. Um, And of course, we're going to keep you guys uh, plugged in with any information that we find out and be covering the offseason, you know, journey of this football program uh, as we go in the next coming months. So be sure to keep it locked in for that. Um, other than that, thanks for listening to this special Saturday afternoon edition of the Thursday Night Podcast. Um, as always, make sure you're following our social handles. Make sure you guys are locked in on all things Georgia State. And then we'll be back on Thursday to talk about the hopeful uh, little rock win uh, heading into the Sunbelt Tournament. See ya.
The Thursday Night Podcast is a production of ThursdayNight.com, the independent source of choice for all things Georgia State sports. This podcast and all included sounds are exclusive property of and copyright 2019 Jordan Crawford Enterprises, LLC, on behalf of ThursdayNight.com, unless otherwise specified. The podcast is produced by Programming Director Brady Weiler and Technical Director Jordan Crawford, with assistance from co-hosts Taylor Dynan and David Salmon. You can find the podcast on SoundCloud, as well as podcast aggregators like Spotify, Google Play, and Apple Podcast. To submit questions and comments, or to request information on advertising and corporate partnerships, contact the show on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram as at Thursday Night, or via email at thursdaynight at gmail.com.